everybody and welcome back to season five of sequelizers as always i am your host jack chambers and joining me my sequelizing compatriots mr matthew stogden if you smell <laughs> la 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 what the sequelizers are fixing there you go that's that's for you well, well done man well done <laughs> i appreciate i appreciate well the reference and a slightly less wrestling enthusiast i think mr timothy Maytum. Looks like you're on the wrong side of the river, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We are fixing Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> the uh, famous Dwayne Johnson vehicle. Uh, unfortunately, we're fixing a film that is not really a Dwayne Johnson vehicle at all. And that's kind of one of the problems with this. He wasn't even billed as Dwayne Johnson. This it was, was just back when he was The, the rock. rock. Yeah, because he wasn't even an actor at this point. Not even Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Nope, just The Rock. Because he was still active in WWF at the time, I think. Um, and this is pre-WWE as well, because that, that changes a couple of years later. There was an interview with him on TV at the mm. time saying, oh, I had to learn this language and do tons of training. And I thought, oh, great. And then see the film and think, oh, is this for a different film? Turns out kind of <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah. We're fixing Mummy Returns from 2001. Because, good lord, this film is not good. And something we kind of addressed when we started talking about the films we're going to do for season five, we all kind of agreed that, like, oh, yeah, the, f- the first Mummy film was actually really good. I love the you, first You kind of forget how good those films are, mm-hmm. especially with, like, the Tom Cruise remake that happened a couple of years ago that was absolute bollocks. Yeah. And the constant talk of redoing and undoing the Uncharted movies and stuff like that and the success of those games in general. And Indiana Jones sequel upon Indiana Jones sequel. You think there's a franchise that kind of already did the Indiana Jones twist, or the mm. Uncharted twist, the adventurer twist with the mummy, and it worked really well. And yeah, then it went horribly fucking wrong. <laughs> I think I think this this franchise, and especially the first film, actually has a huge. I I have constantly seen people talking about how good it is and how like just how much of a like fun popcorn treat of a film it is Mm, and like and and it's so rare for films of kind of this time um to you be able to go back to them now and just be like yeah like there's not too much in here that's like weirdly problematic that you know should definitely have been fixed by 1999 Mm. um and uh it's i think people just appreciate like the the cgi in the mummy has not it doesn't look great but it also hasn't aged badly because it was right at that period where they knew they couldn't rely on it so there's yes. still some physical effects in there and the bits that are in there look pretty like they look fine they look it, acceptable in the same way you look back on jason on the argonauts and the sort of like ray harryhausen stop motion stuff and say to yourself as much as you know it's still an amazing accomplishment. You look back now with contemporary eyes and go, oh, I can tell this is all fake weirdness. But it, you, you don't need that. You've got the sense of suspense of disbelief. It's just cool. But also, The Mummy is a bit of a genre-spanning film. It was a comedy, a romance, an action film, 
a is historical drama, is like a horror de- film. deceptively romantic as well. I yeah, think. And, yeah, and that's a key thing. Again, something we talked about. When we were talking about introducing these, this series into sequelizers is Rick and Evie have an actual decent relationship, and they work well not only as like a, a duo in cinema, but like mm. they actually function as a couple, which is a very rare thing. Mm. And you so often get couples that either have no chemistry or there's a forced romance or something like that but it's just very quickly and easily established and they they you know between fraser and vice they have that great chemistry that just works straight Mm -hmm. away and then mommy returns introduces (laughs) alex the the kid Uh, alex kid alex kid not alex kid unfortunately just to just to go back to the uh vice and fraser like and them as a, the, a couple in the, the original Mummy. Yeah. There is a problem that Hollywood has, seems to have fallen into over the past kind of like 10 years, especially in these kinds of films where, you know, it's like an adventure film or an action film, but there's a, you know, romance subplot, is that the new default seems to be we'll have them constantly bicker for 95% of the film and then right towards and the end... Kiss. They'll kiss. Yeah. Um, yep. And it, and and screenwriters and executives seem to mistake that for being like, oh yeah, like it's snappy, like back in the twenties, and you oh, know, yeah. it's, just it's like, like flirty banter. Yeah, and it's stuff, like isn't it? it's yeah. like bringing up baby or the Philadelphia story or something, and it's like, no, it's not. Like this it's is abusive. A, yeah, this is a good example. Like they, there is conflict between um, like Evie and O'Connell in the film, but they also have affection for each other pretty much from the jump. Like once they've got over the yes. introductions it's clear that they kind of respect each other even if they don't completely understand each other and they're looking out for each other like they are not just bickering and sniping at each other mm. and then like right at the end they kiss there there's genuine like affection there as well as chemistry absolutely like, yeah 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 it's a layered attraction you've got literally the 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 oh the overt lust right at the start when they meet mm. when he's all bedraggled and steals the a raw kiss from her sexual chemistry raw Brenda Fraser and and then Rachel Vice is Rachel fucking Vice but she certainly is then then he sh- he cleans up and, yes. the, the, and the she's like moment. oh but they still trip over each other and and he's like what are you interested in they're completely different personalities but they're both really for lack of a better word really fucking cute with each other mm. and then when they're racing through the desert, the camels, and they both have a look with each other, like, you know, they're racing along, there's that little smirk. It's like, this is a really, and I hate saying this because it's a fucking film and it's not real, but it feels like a real relationship it's budding b- in front they're of you. a believable couple, aren't they? Entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the end of the, you know, it's, it's by the end of the film, you know they'll end up together and it'll be really sweet and it'll carry on and be great. Unlike, as a strange parallel as an example, Indiana Jones, mm, who you kind of feel yes. he's going to slap everyone he meets, <laughs> slap them into bed. I, mean, I don't like fast women. Ford. Yeah, I mean, this is why when I said um, rather controversially uh, on a previous Equalizers episode that I prefer Rick O'Connell to Indiana Jones. The thing that's really interesting about them is that Indiana Jones acts with a sense of arrogance and also, to be fair, a real passion for archaeology and nothing else other than himself. Whereas Rick O'Connell is strangely much more of a person you want to actually spend time with. And again, because... He's likeable and not a grumpy bastard, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has his grumpy moments, but he also has his charming moments and his sweet moments and his romantic moments and his chivalrous moments. And yes, okay, he's arrogant, awful... You know, he's a man from the fucking 20s, for Christ's sake. Mm. But yeah, I think he's a much more interesting character. And I think it's interesting and quite telling that 
20, oh my God, 20 years on from that film coming out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We are talking about The Mummy, which was billed as an action horror film. And we're saying, it's a beautiful romance. They were beautiful (laughs) chemistry. Because that's one of the things we've taken away from that entire film. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting seeing the things that stick with you over time. And and I definitely think going back to rewatch the mummy is interesting now especially if you haven't seen it in a while because the horror elements of it are actually like especially during the first up to the kind of first half if not like the first two thirds there's a very heavy emphasis on the horror part of it and True. there's a lot of tension there's a lot of people getting kind of uh mysteriously murdered and stuff like that and it really plays up those elements which unfortunately the mummy returns kind of almost completely abandoned yeah it makes itself very much a cartoonish family friendly feature and uh whacks up the comedy and silliness and tones i mean for example a lot of mummy seems to be shot in shadow and suspense yes. and it's very then it was a 15 tombs and all that kind of stuff mm, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, whereas the the sequel was much more colorful much more vibrant much more and again early 2000s with this the saying, blues brothers 2000 issue uh, where yeah. we've encountered this quite a few times we on do. sequelizers where they take the first one, which works, and they completely misunderstand what audiences want from a sequel. And be like, yeah, we'll make it so everybody can enjoy it. It's all family-friendly package. We'll just redo the other one and just make it more family-friendly. And everybody can enjoy it then, because the problem with the last one is that only certain people could enjoy it. Because, like <laughs> you said, it was a 15. So yeah. oh, all the preteens and all the like PG audience can't possibly enjoy that. Ugh. <sighs> Fuck you, fuck you, executives. Give me their monies. But then equally, and we should point this out, or no, we should ask, first of all, not that it's the subject of today's discussion much, but it's worth bringing up because we're talking about chemistry at the minute and we should bring in Maria Bello because for some reason this franchise did. Have you guys seen The Mummy, Tomb of the Emperor, whatever the fuck it's called? No, I have not. Is that the third one? That's the third one. No. So just me then. Tomb yeah. of the Dragon, Dragon Emperor. Dragon Emperor, yeah. yes. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. No, I've not. I know it has Yetis in it. That's about it. <laughs> it has Yetis uh, putting their hands up to signify a field goal when they kick something up into like a mountain. Sorry, what? And there's a joke where uh, Jonathan Sorry, gets what? thrown up on by a uh, a yak. And he said, oh, the yak yaked. And I thought, cows don't vomit like that because that's why they have multiple stomach. <laughs> I mean, it's a small point to make, but it's like, I don't understand here. Uh, they introduced Liam Cunningham as a pilot and thought, that's good. Liam Cunningham's a funny guy. Let's go with it. And it's like, oh no, it's terrible. And the whole film was painful. And also because they trade out, for various reasons, Rachel Weisz for Maria Bello, that chemistry is gone. Mm-hmm. And she is not in the close to being the same. There's no offense to her because she's stepping into a very difficult role with very difficult chemistry. And it starts with, you know, um, Rick Connell can't really acclimatize to a, a mundane British life in the countryside. And he just mm-hmm. ends up fishing, getting bored and shooting the fish. And it's all very dry. The comedy's very flat. The kid, by the way, is back and he's now 20-something. Oh, fuck off. Even though a few years have passed. Mm. The ageing... Because the, the thing with The Mummy, the Mummy Returns is the weird age force thing where it's like, yeah, keep it in the, it's, in the years. It's two years later, like 99 to 2001 is the actual time yes. gap. Mm. But nine years pass between The Mummy and Mummy Returns, giving them enough time to have an eight-year-old kid in Alex. It's like... Technically, no. I think, if I remember correctly... I'm going to double-check this now. But I'm pretty sure only... He's an accelerated mutant child. He is an accelerated mutant child, seriously. The first film takes place in 19... Sorry. 1926. Yeah, and then it's 35, which is nine years later. I'm pretty sure it is. Is 1933. So seven years later. Oh, damn it, that works out. Eight, seven or eight I'm years. I'm sure yeah. there's a thing at the time, mm. and it was a problem. Still. 
Either way, he's a piece he's of a, shit. He's a seven, eight-year-old oh, kid, yeah, whatever the, he is. Alex is such... He, a, he's barely a character. He's basically a plot device. Which is um, true with a lot of things in Mummy yes, Returns. Very yeah. true. That's a huge problem. And I have so many issues with the thinking of Hollywood that, oh, if we're making this for kids, then the kids, then it has to, like... It, I can't really think of this as a kid. Yeah. Blues yeah. Brothers yeah. 2000. <laughs> if we're making this for kids, then it has to have a kid character and they have to be the focus of the adventure, yeah. which he's not really in this. And the audience for The Mummy wasn't kids initially it was just that kids watched it on vhs slash dvd when it came out and also like kids are perfectly happy like i i know that when i was the age the age that they were going to be targeting these films at the kind of films that i wanted to watch had grown-ups in them i didn't give two hoots about watching a kid hey tim did you like that star wars had all the children in it oh wait no star wars had no fucking children yeah exactly like prequels you know i was Fucking, I'm a huge you know. Jake Lloyd fan. Said no one ever, <laughs> not even Jake Lloyd. You know the films I was watching then was stuff like like Stargate, which yeah. you know Ooh. I'm like I'm the characters I'm interested in are this like weird uh, military colonel who's lost his kid and yeah, like because the kid's been shot. I, I don't I don't identify with him on any of those levels, no. but like I identify with him because he's the cool character, so therefore I want to be him. Yeah, and so kids watching this, they're not going to identify or they're not going to kind of project themselves upon the kid because he's kind of shitty and he gets kidnapped and doesn't really do much they're mm. gonna they're gonna want to be rick o'connell because he's the action obviously. hero who's yes. doing stuff obviously yeah. that's, so, that's the general picture it's the idolization yeah, yeah. i mean for, for god's sake one of the highest grossing films one not three or four years before the mummy came out was about fucking lions in yeah. the jungle and nobody wanted to say where are my children it's like a, there's a little baby lion that counts like don't count it's not a human i want to see a human yeah. give me a human face give me lips on optimus <laughs> um, it purely comes down to executives saying it has to be a relatable human face mm. it can't be you know an, an, an a, a featureless void even though that does actually work in a lot of uh, examples of fiction and also, it has to be someone of a relatable age, gender, ethnicity, what the fuck, ever, yeah. blah, 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 which is utterly bullshit. Yes. But it has to, has to cater to the assumed straight, white, male 12-year-old. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was 10 when this movie came out, so I'm, I'm yeah. the right fucking demographic for this. And, and did you see it in cinema? Uh, no, I don't think I did. I was 9 when The Mummy came out, and hmm. 10 or 11 when, this, when Mummy Returns came out. I don't think I saw... As you mentioned it, Tim, I think I saw them both on VHS. Yeah. Because I didn't really like consciously go to the cinema very much when I was 10. Mm. I'm not Matt Stogden. <laughs> I was going to say, I went to the cinema with Mummy. I was really excited <laughs> for it. Of course you did. Because I liked the Universal Monsters original one. And I heard about it and they said, I was I was the dickhead kid in there saying, but you're Bay, what, that's 15 the, the Mummy. Point? 14? <laughs> so 1999, I was 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I just moved to Norwich. You saw it at the ABC Cinema when it's still open. Oh, um, I probably saw it at the same cinema. Yeah, at the same time, no less, because that's yeah. how our lives tend to work. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> um, th- there were a few films in the late '90s that really captured me, in, and they were very strangely different. One, Fifth Element. <laughs> it was as crazy as science fiction could get because it was not like gritty Star yeah. Wars or thinky sort of Star Trek. It was literally just some weird French future. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this, this is very amazing. French. Yeah. There's boobs in this. And then there was The Mummy. 
I'm obviously cutting over a lot of different things here, uh, like anime and things, but Mummy was another one that's like, this is really fucking cool because it reminds me of like the 20s and 30s and it's bringing back Universal stuff and this is really ah, cool. reminded me back to my time back when I was alive. But then I like, I like the aesthetic of the Universal monster things I watched as a, as a kid. And then you had Fight Club and it was like, ah, I am a teenager now and this <laughs> is very different. But I saw all three of those in the cinema and they were very formative cinema experiences. It's quite a me. triple bill, Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, different years. But I it assume was, it was one day and you it just was left. <laughs> Matt and ate it all. Had a piss, went back in for the next one. <laughs> yeah. You must have sneaked into Fight Club then. Fight Club, I did have to get in. That's an 18, team. right? That's an 18, yeah. 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 You naughty boy. Uh, that's one of the only things I actually did sneak into. Are you a tall 15-year-old? Not especially. Oh. Anyway, point is that The Mummy's one of those ones that stood out to me. In the same way, like Stargate stood out and all those things. It's like, it's full of great concepts. The, at the time, the, the CGI was really, really goddamn impressive. And as Tim mentioned, it still holds up reasonably well. You can tell the CGI is that brown sort of look to it, but they didn't make it entirely reliant upon just the CGI. That The Scarab CGI is still scary to me. Yeah. But they're going under the skin and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that freaked me out for years. I know people are scared of like, oh, there's monsters under my bed and they're going to grab my toes or whatever. No, like, I always worry about a scarab eating its way to my brain or yeah. heart f- up through my toes. Which, and... let's face it, a fleshy parasite is much more likely. Oh, fleshy parasite's terrifying. I can't, I can't remember the proper term for it, but it's something like body envelope, like... Um, piercing or something, oh, something like yeah, that yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. yeah the idea is like as soon as something Inter- interdermal piercings is the underneath mm. the skin ones where they have like the but 3d it's, mm. but it's it's like the idea like horror like there's a there's a specific kind of like revulsion that we get of anything Ugh. kind of like piercing the kind of force field that we have around ourselves and our yes, personal space yes. so it's that, like that is my like phobia stuff going into your mouth that you don't want there or stuff going into yes. your ears or your, your yeah they had a problem with that with star trek the next generation with the first or second episode where they had this little worm things that they were in the mouths and they would drill a little hole through your your neck uh, and that's the that could you know uh, Classic, like <laughs> some evil admiral or commodore or some shit. They got, yeah. But it was the whole we, thing. We apologise, listeners, if anyone is just like fucking the yeah. fuck out, right? It's yeah. me. Thanks, guys. But that's the thing. As, as a child, I was watching that when I was like six or seven. It was fucking traumatising. Yep. It's like, Star Trek will be fine. No. <laughs> um, so by the time this came around, it was like, it was like oh, you're desensitized cool. thanks to a the next generation bit, yeah. <laughs> then you get to the mummy returns and suddenly cgi is being pushed and it was only a small gap between mm. the like you know jurassic park in 93 saying look what we can do with cgi which the problem was i thought oh my god everything is cgi it's like no dickheads a lot of it's like mm. puppets no 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 <laughs> that tree is cgi no, you fucking idiot! <laughs> it's a tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Why then you... would we CGI a tree? <laughs> and then two thousand 2000... fucking dinosaur <laughs> over there. And then you get to two thousand two or three, and people start saying things like, "Well, technically, if the tree was CGI, it would make the real thing, the CGI thing, look less CGI." Mm. It's like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but maybe don't do that. What yeah. about the Star Wars prequels? Why don't we just make everything CGI? CGI. Exactly. I mean, you've had you've had those come out. You've had the, well, the first. You've had Phantom Menace come out, and you've also had the Matrix come out. Yep. Like oh, yeah. around the, around the time of the Mummy, and then obviously God. that those are going to impact how the Mummy returns. Ninety nines are weird. You, and it's very weird. You know the fact that you've had that kind of you know, <laughs> as much as we lambast him, Jar Jar Binks was kind of revolutionary in terms of what like CGI characters could do, and so then every film thought that they could do like, just everything CGI. Yeah. yeah. So you know you end up with. Oh, let's give the Scorpion King a giant army of 
like Anubis looking fuckers made of dust. And, yeah, <laughs> and it's also the, the dog army monsters. Yeah, yeah. which again uh, at the time looked pretty damn good, but that's because we didn't know any better. Yeah. Well, you also had like the battle at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, and that is Very true. a huge mm. battle that is vastly CGI, Correct. built onto miniatures of the actual set and all this kind of stuff. And that the big like battle between Imhotep mm. and um, the Scorpion King, that kind of mm. big thing that goes on with the with the warriors in theory, could have been the same thing, but Lord of the Rings just pulls it off in ways that The Mummy Returns just does not. It also mixes its... There's CGI in there, but they also had the miniatures, or the bigatures, as they called them, because they were so fucking big. Huge, huge miniatures. And you intercut the CGI stuff with shots of real people in makeup. Yes, yeah. Whereas, you know... Also, all at night. Yes. Oh, God, that helps a lot as well, doesn't it? Um, Of course. I think about the standout bits in The Mummy Returns that are like bad CGI. Mm. It's not really... Okay, okay, let's get the obvious thing out of the way. Yes, the Scorpion King scorpion thing when he comes out... That shot where he stumbles out. Many have covered this, and yeah. If you want to see a better version of that, go and check out Corridor Digital's version where they actually fixed the VFX in that shot. Uh, I'm very controversial for a second. I didn't like their fix. Really? Well, I mean, it's better than the original. It is, but I we're like, like yeah. 20 years late with better technology. It's like, is that the best I can... I mean, it's a rush job and it's the same sort of thing, but I'm still like, oh, I was expecting so much How more impressive. Dare you, man. I mean, they need to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, the other thing that stands out to me is bad CGI. Um, green screening. Yeah. And lots of bad A lot green of terrible green screening and those little... When, as soon as they're up here in the fucking... People. Oh, God. Yeah. And that is at night, but even then, it doesn't yeah. seem to... And the fucking dirigible... Dirigible oh, green screening is, is the worst for me. Thing. That's the thing that I was like, holy shit, this looks bad. Because mm. as bad as the Scorpion King shot is, mm. it's not a big part of the film. Mm. It's not. Despite it's not. how highly billed The Rock was, he's in this film for like 35 seconds, yeah. bit at the beginning, <laughs> bit at the end, done. Yeah. yeah. Whereas that fucking dirigible bit just goes on for far too long. Yeah. And it is such bad green screening. Like, I've thought back to another film of that era, the Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. Yes. And you see the um, swinging through holding Kirsten Dunst. Oh, the, yeah. thing. <laughs> the, mum, the dummy thing. The dummy thing. And it's such bad green screening of them swinging through New York. And you're like, her hair's going the wrong way according to the wind that yeah. they're swinging <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And it just reminded me of that, this bad early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, it's making mistakes in public. Yeah, the idea that when Matrix Reloaded came out or was coming out, they said we got we did this under a rock. No one knew what we were doing. We get to experiment now. There's a spotlight on us, and all our mistakes are being made in public. I think it was this thing or something. And it's that that idea of the scrutiny, and you you are everyone together in the industry, slowly and collectively figuring out what this technology is, and mm. you can't really you know privately figure it out you have to do it with a big budget and a big production yeah. i mean the, there was the two the i think they're brothers i don't think they're twins the directors of uh sky captain mm. and the thing of tomorrow yeah. and <laughs> and i remember they're saying like there's an interview where this this guy's young excitable guy ran up and said oh my god that's so amazing i can't believe you do all that stuff we just 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 everyone was green screen it was all let's see that's so amazing it's so amazing and they ran off and said, and said who the hell was that Oh, that's J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I was like, who's J.J. Abrams? He's like, oh, he's a producer guy. He's going to be quite big soon. I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But there was this excitement about the pushing of technology. And then you had, you know, someone like Cameron slowly in the background mm-hmm. working on an idea for this, what would become Avatar. And, mm-hmm. you know. Th- and Cameron, weirdly enough, said he was the one thing he was mostly inspired by to create the characters in Avatar was Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it's the mm-hmm. same era. It's that late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
com- the the first time anyone combined CGI with real world stuff. Like when you see Gollum interacting with real world things, it's a combination of he's not motion captured technically. Mm. It's Andy Circus in a gray suit, and then they've hand animated him back into the scene, mm. and then you take the evolution of that in Circus's performance and things like the Apes movies, mm. which is on-set motion capture with lighting and everything mm. is absolutely mental. Well, it's, it's taking the lesson and going from there and building and building absolutely, like, like a yeah, scientific yeah, experiment. Yeah. Unfortunately for the filmmakers of this era, they were just lumped in with this like, well, Jurassic Park, like you said, Matt, did this amazing thing in 93. Yeah. And then in 20 years, it will be amazing. Trust me. But in this middle point, we're all kind of fucked and we're just experimenting with stuff. We're, we're pushing the technology beyond its limits at this point and we're just kind of stuck restricted by that for i do feel sorry for the filmmakers of that era they're just kind of stuck with that those legacy yeah Yeah. exactly yeah some of those films might have been much better if they made them 10 15 years later and had the right technology to to back up their ambitions and their ideas but sorry 90s and (laughs) 2000s (laughs) filmmakers yeah i mean even someone who did it as competently as peter jackson you then come along to King Kong, and there's Ugh. some terrible CGI in that. Even though fucking he's fucking dinosaurs tripping over each yeah, other, yeah. bollocks. He, I love that film, but also fucking hell. Yeah, so. even though he's working with a comparable budget, if you know, and and the the top of the industry, you know, specifications. Usually part of the same crew that worked on Lord of the Rings and stuff. Yeah, it's still yeah. wetter and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, yeah. it's in that point of envelope pushing, and some things are going to come out ropey. And but then he did the Hobbit movies, and fi- oh, yeah. and everything was fine. <laughs> Like you say, Jack, that there are certain films that suffer and that look bad now, especially in comparison to modern stuff and and even earlier stuff, and would have been so much better served, you know, by a, another go round with the, or you know, another six months of time and you know, twenty million dollars of of budget or whatever. <laughs> Obviously, The Mummy Returns has problems beyond that. We've touched on very how true, terrible Alex is as a character slash plot device and how minimal the plot is. Yeah. It's, the story is a big problem. just barely any story keeping this thing together. And they just end up in London because reasons. Because, mm-hmm. oh yeah, sh- London would be a cool idea, I guess. Like, mm. Let's have a chase on a double-decker bus. Uh, yeah, it, it's ticking all the fucking tourism boxes for the sake mm. of like, yeah. oh look, you see the... And like the establishing shot of London, you mm. have like Big Ben, Tower Bridge, St yes. Paul's <laughs> Cathedral, and they're all like a mile within it, each other. It like, hold on a minute, that's insultingly not... ridiculous because someone made the active decision to say we'll set it in London. Okay, we... oh, it's London in the past. Oh, is there a slight difference? Doesn't matter because we're going to just include all the fucking landmarks. We need all the landmarks in one shot at the same time. Was the London Eye <laughs> at you, the time? Do you, no, but we'll put do, it in. Do you know how big London is? No, yeah. no I mean it's smaller than like the American cities, right? <laughs> Uh, sure ish <laughs> well fuck it just St Paul's well, is there and it, then Big Ben's there it's not fine. hyperbolic to say it's as dumb as like oh my god the Empire State Building right next to it the good old Statue of Liberty exactly yeah. what yeah, the fuck yeah. are you talking Americans about Americans would be so pissed off if we did that yeah. in that kind of like shrinking down oh Brooklyn's right here and then Manhattan's mm. over here and then blah 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 shrinking down the entirety of New York into yep. this tiny mm. little thing this film does the same thing with London and it is For just no reason yeah, it's just box ticking for no reason. It's mm. just like, oh, like we need a new location for reasons to make it more interesting, I guess. I, I'm, mm. I'm guessing that was the reason behind it. They just wanted to do something. We've got some British characters. Let's make it England. Yeah. Mm. But there's no actual kind of plot reason driving it towards that. The only thing it's I can just... think is it's closer to the end goal of 
where they go in Africa. So it's like rather than the, you know going to America and then spending what like a week on a boat to get back there. Yeah. So or even a time lapse. So they're like to keep the urgency. If you're in Britain, you're a little bit closer, and it's just a little. And again, it keeps it with the whole twenties, thirties post empire mm. sort of mindset. Yeah. But yeah, the plot is a very big problem because on the surface there is a hint of a good idea. The Scorpion King as a thing, it's novel enough, it's interesting, nothing wrong with that, you can mm. do some stuff with that. And the idea of bringing Anaxuna Moon sorry, back and embodying her, rather than just being this MacGuffin device, is a cool concept, execution, again we'll get to in a second, but as an idea it's interesting. Um, the, again, much in the same way that he thinks, you know, the, the idea of ancestry, etc, etc. And then the other interesting concept, shall we say, no, that's it. That's all there is. That's but the rest of it is just effectively watered down versions of characters we already met and know, and very Three Stooges esque thing with the the criminal elements or the the villainous elements in the first film with Benny, the Americans. Well, they're, they're more victims than anything else. Which I find quite interesting. Mm. And the professor and they're, stuff they're like that. They're rivals rather than exactly antagonists. yes. Yeah, that's a good. And the yeah. real because it never takes away from the real antagonist, which is Imhotep and the mm. cur and the curse specifically. Imhotep. And as weird as it sounds, Imhotep is a semi sympathetic character yeah. in the first film because he's just in love with someone he can't be with. Mm. It's uh, again films about romance. The second <laughs> film, everyone's <laughs> very gone a bit more mustache twirling villain a bit more camper this is a curse that is a curse everything is a curse with you it's like yeah what is this and and they do this a lot of callback jokes an uncomfortable amount of callback jokes yeah, are less yeah. funny hyper escalated and less funny so for example the whole evie standing doing her thing on the ladder and all the bookshelves fall down and you can see it's blatantly a dude in a wig <laughs> balancing on, on a ladder didn't even get a stunt woman no, just, just a bloke so. in a wig, a wig. Um, and well that, a woman couldn't possibly do a, a woman? stunt it's the 20s but the point is that when that happens it's it's big and silly and over the top and the oops and that's a one shot from him it's done quite well and then you know enter scene but in this one it's these giant pillars that fall down it's like mm. I mean bookcases I get pillars I don't know, man. Yeah, and they it's just, so it, stupid. It makes them look like they're made of styrofoam, which, which they, they are. Which they are, <laughs> yes. Um, but they, you can see the rocks what's bounce, the kids bounce on the ground. Crumbs or some bullshit. Oh, it's um, or is that something like that? Yeah. Yeah, whatever the kids' catchphrase is, crumbs or some Duff, bullshit. It's just it's one step away from being like yippee, or you know. It's, <laughs> now this is pod racing, exactly. Which you think they'd learn the lesson of. <laughs> You know, from the prequels, well, but yeah, <laughs> you mentioned the Anaxonamun stuff, and I think that it does overcomplicate it a lot because mm. the setup in the original is fairly straightforward. Rachel Vice is meant to be a physical kind of reincarnation of Imhotep's past lover. Yes, um, even though I believe she looks pretty different when we see the flashbacks in the yeah, original film or maybe she's maybe she's meant to have her the same soul or something there's there's mm. meant to be a connection between the two except in the mummy returns it turns out that there's another woman who's a who's a physical reincarnation who does look the same but doesn't have the same connection except mm. Rachel Vice is also a physical reincarnation of the daughter of the pharaoh. Yep. Yeah. And also, hey, while we're at it, Brendan Fraser is a warrior for God because he's got a tattoo and he can remember a phrase from when he was in an orphanage. See, this is the thing. As I said, the threads of the ideas are fine. The execution is weird 
unnecessary convoluted bullshit. Mm. I do like that they included a tattoo on Brendan Fraser's wrist or arm or wherever they placed it. I know it moves slightly, but um, they included the tattoo on his wrist. To... I wish it was a tramp stamp. I'm not going <laughs> to. Tramp set... stamp of destiny. <laughs> and the old That's rhyme. The fourth one, right? So they have this thing set up as a, we don't know what it's going to be. We might come back to it. It's a nice little thread piece to come back to potentially. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but there it is. But what they came back with was stupid. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. And I think you're right. It overly says, oh, I, I don't necessarily mind the idea that even potentially that um, that Rachel Weisz is of descendancy of the actual royal line. That's hmm. arguably fine. I remember when I went to Egypt and my tour guide said that she was the daughter of Ramses. And we said, right. But she was saying, no, no, no. The kings of Egypt fucked everybody. Mm. It's like the Genghis Khan thing. Yeah, you're yeah, all descendants. So, like, yeah. Oh, no, I see what you mean. That makes complete sense. And of course, because of how... Um, you know, genealogy works that, you know, that, that there would be widespread, especially, from, you know, centuries ago. Hmm. It makes complete sense. The fact she looks exactly like Rachel Weisz in the past is dumb. <laughs> That's the only way movies can tell people are related. It's like, it's played by the same actor, right? Why would my great, 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 great grandfather be like physically identical <laughs> to me? That makes no fucking sense. Here's a little uh, aside that means nothing for the mummy, but it's about casting for this kind of thing. In The Wife, which is a good film. Uh, Glenn Close plays a character, and there's flashback sequences, and she's played by a different actor. Mm. And she does a very good job. Nothing wrong with her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they think it's interesting, really. They don't look like perfectly. So it's like, that's an interesting choice for a Glenn Close version. And like, like young Glenn Close at all. That's fine. Then you realize, oh no, it's Glenn Close's daughter. You're like, oh. oh. And that's people's daughters and stuff. And when you're younger, you don't look exactly the same. No, it, it makes sense. In the same way that, in a, in all honesty, um, having you know Ice Cube in Straight Outta Compton being played by his kid, yeah, is genius because mm. I mean, he looks like Ice Cube. He does, and that's a great show. Yeah. yeah. So there's that where you can do it. You can get similar people, fan members, whatever. It's gonna mm. be something along the lines of or similar looking actors. It doesn't be the exact same fucking character unless it's Bahu Bali. In which case, I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's the only time I'm like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. You and your well, defense they... of Bahu Bali. It's not again. defense. It's fucking amazing. They put a mustache on him. It's fine. Problem solved. Rachel Weiss put a mustache on him. That's how he <laughs> takes this film. I'm not <laughs> like saying proper... I would be more into that, but I might be more into that. <laughs> proper handlebar. like. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Proper Stogden, if you will. <laughs> sure. Rachel Weiss being killed off like towards the end seems to be purely so that the kid and Jonathan have stuff to do in the finale. Yeah, it's just this weird plot beat that I don't know. Is it meant to make like Rick mad? But he did like he he's not even fighting the person who killed her because she gets killed by her. For, for such a cleanly paced, treasure hunted, well structured film that like the Mummy, for example, mm. the Mummy Returns has so much bloat from start to end. It, it it effectively lost all of that sheen, all of that urgency. They even have like oh. You have until X amount of time to get into this mm-hmm. temple before the sun hits it or some other bullshit. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't actually feel that there's no tension to the whole thing. They're taking a train at one point. I mean, I get it because it's the past and things like that, but nothing ever feels like there's a sense of timing and pacing and progression. It's just set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. It, it mistakes stuff constantly happening and and being told that there's like a deadline to things yeah. for tension. Like yeah. it tries to substitute that, you know, kind of like, oh, you're on a roller coaster ride. Like lots of stuff's happening. Yes, it's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm not excited by any of it because I'm not really engaged by. I'm experiencing it, but I'm not involved in it. Yes. I'm not really affected by it. Yeah. Yeah, entirely. 
Um, it, again, I, I'm trying to sort of convey something to you guys, which is a thing. <sighs> Mummy 3 is exponentially worse. <laughs> it it is, doesn't surprise me. I know but, we're not necessarily talking about it, but it needs to be mentioned that as much as 2 is a bad film, mm. some people probably... People still like people 2. Can enjoy it, I yeah. still have an affection for I do as well. I have, I'm, I'm, and here's the, th- here's the thing. I fucking like The Scorpion King. <laughs> You're I've wrong, never, I've never seen, I've Do you mean the, the film? King. I mean the film. I've never seen it. The so. first Scorpion, film, Scorpion King film is quite funny to me. You're wrong. I don't you think it's a very wrong. good film, but I, I still like it. And I think also there's there's less CGI, more practical effects, mm. so it's it's aged better. And a, a scene that went wrong that was brilliant. I'm gonna tell, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it. Sit down, kids. Good. So effectively speaking, prop swords. Now we from from movies especially and te- television are raised to assume swords have to be smashed into each other. Ching 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 ching. That's what we kind of assume a sword fight is. Bullshit. Swords are not designed for that. Swords are sharp and pointing. As soon as you know fighting evolved from the enormous double-handed broadsword kind of things to rapiers you're like just just pierce the skin mm. they're dead oh yeah that's, that's sharp once they understood that it was you know armor wasn't a thing anymore etc etc it became much more easy to apply now prop swords and things a sword fight is boring if you can't smash the sword into the person and see something happen if you're just over and parried away and it doesn't have the same effect doesn't have the same impact so Classically, we have big, macho, strong-armed dudes like Michael Clark Duncan and, and The Rock running at each other in one scene, swords drawn, mm. and just crack it into each other. Now, because those two do that in the hot sun with these two swords, they shatter to pieces. And there's a look on both of their faces like, Oh! What just happened? <laughs> and they, they basically reshot the entire fight sequence around that sort of mm. development because it's one of those... You know, you couldn't fake it, kind of things, mm. and it looks really goddamn cool because these 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 props will just just break to pieces, and these two burly dudes are so shocked by it in a genuine moment. But it looks fantastic, um, but because of those more practical effects, the Scorpion King, strangely, kind of aged a bit better. However, Scorpion King is better than this. No, 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 it aged better. Yeah, I don't think I don't know. It's better because at the end of the day, I mean, still it makes no shit. sense and it doesn't tie into this film. At all, the character is completely different. He's yep. he says at the end of his film, "Will I be happy and rain for many years?" Oh, that much I cannot tell, my king. Every time comes to an end, it's like, Dun-dun-dun-dun. it's like, <laughs> no, you turned into a psychopath <laughs> who killed <laughs> everyone. A giant scorpion monster. Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? This is a bad ending for you. Mm. Um, but then, it, classically, the Rock went from being a heel to a face, and mm. it was more ah, the idea of, wrestling terminology. Yeah. Uh, and it, it went from being like a bit of a face. We'll make him a villain. As an extra to, he is a straight-up hero leading this film. We yeah. need to be a heroic figure. And so, feel like so many of this bits of this film could be removed and it would still end up with the exact same thing and it would still be disappointing as hell. The Dragon Emperor is twice as bad because it learns nothing about from the first two films and somehow is even more soulless because it's not Summer's Coming Back. It's part of the same cast not the entire same cast mm. and the writing is abysmal and moving it to china is fine mm. making it a mummy who's chinese as an emperor is arguably fine there's nothing wrong with that mummies yeah. are a thing that's happened in many different countries jetly doesn't have the jetly's in fact more menacing than arnold voslo is part of the problem mm. it loses that that sort of campy adventure style thing mm. and it becomes eerie as well as really fucking stupid with I yetis i can't imagine jetly suiting uh, as, as the tone is in these films, I can't imagine him suiting that. 
No. It was a very... But then it was early... Two, well, 2008, I want to say. Um, and I th- that's when Jet Li started falling out of favour with the West. In yeah. Because um, well, he arrives up in, in, in the, the late 90s in Lethal Weapon, mm. comes about a bit, and then departs again, mm. and then, you know, returns for a few bits and pieces here and there, like yeah. the Expendables and things. Um, but the, yeah, that aside, The Mummy Returns is still, for all intents and purposes, a very enjoyable film. It just makes... It is, it is, it's enjoyable in its way because it still has a lot of the components of the I first I was pulling film. a face listening. He, he <laughs> was, he was. Immediately was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but the Sam problem is, it's like... Dissenters on Twitter. It's Oh, here we go. It would be like watching, in a strange callback to a conversation we were having before we start recording, like having a really fond memory of a stand-up comedian, then going back and watching the stand-up comedian's whole set piece and going... Oh, uh, no. It's not as funny as I remember. No, something, something's different. It's like, yeah, you're different, but in this case, no, the film's different. You haven't changed mm. at all. The film's got different. Or a returning you know, stand-up with a second follow-up pack, and you're like, oh. Recently, for example, I think Chris Rock came back and did a stand-up piece, and it was like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm well, good. All right, thanks, Chris. You're fine. All the energy's gone. Yeah. He's now in his 50s. He's very angry and very tired, and it doesn't... Aren't they all... I mean, they all feel like that yeah. way. Um, and it just, it didn't have the same impact. And I think Mummy, in a weird way, Mummy Returns is the same thing. I think there are a lot of people who are going to probably bash us for this because they'll probably appreciate it. For what came after it, the multiple Scorpion King direct-to-DVD sequels with, mm. you know, I think various other cast members who weren't the rock. I'm pretty break, break sure Steve, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin shows up Possibly. in them. I hope so. <laughs> As like the Rattlesnake King or something. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously the Texas the, goddamn rattlesnake. Yeah. It was it was a waste, and also more importantly, and this is the key thing here. As much as we bad mouth some of the effects in the film, and some of the effects don't age as well, there's also the fact that the mummy was brought back with Tom Cruise, mm. and it's canon. <sighs> you guys have seen that. One. Yes, I, I, ha- I have seen you. it, and that don't. is a bad film. Mm. I like some of the components in it. Uh, I like some of the components, but it that- set up the dark universe and all the <laughs> all the success. Thereupon, well, obviously, the Dark Universe rival Marvel was the only thing that took the MCU, MCU down, and you know some mm. other universe. But <laughs> but here, uh... no, um, I actually don't mind the idea of Russell Crowe as Jekyll and Hyde. Fuck I found it very, right on. I found it very funny. He's the best thing about that film. So stupid, and he's not good. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this? That's your Michael Caine impression as well. That's what he was because doing. Russell Crowe is terrible at voices, as we've learned. Oh, Henry, I'm a two tosh now. Oh yeah. What the fuck is this? <laughs> and then Just Tom watch Cruise. Robin Hood. Don't watch Robin Hood. But his uh, accent yeah, is fucking between, garbage. Between well. Van Helsing, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and Mummy, we are like three for three on terrible Cockney Mr. Hyde's. Oh, God. For yeah. the we past, are. like, yeah. 20 years. <sighs> yeah. Don't worry. I'll come back again. It always does. Yeah. Badly. Public domain. <sighs> yes, yeah. true. So yeah, it, it it gave rise to the and and the thing is, no one's ever captured the strength, spirit, or chemistry of the original. Mm. Nothing's ever come back and said, "Look." At, and I should also point out, I have real difficulty. Talk about like Stargate, for example. Mm. I really love Stargate. Mm. I love what SG One did with Stargate as a continuation in the TV series. The Mummy is a very odd one because if you try and say, well, what's the big adventure film? You know, the, the, the big genre spanning old throwback to the 20s, 30s, in the same way Star Wars is a throwback to serials and things. What's your big whatever? And you're like, well, there isn't one. We tried to launch an Indiana Jones, which we don't talk about, and there'll be Indiana Jones 5. And I'm sure there are films of this ilk, but they kind of just died a very quick death. Yeah. 
It was a big 20s, 30s resurgence in the 90s, so the, especially mm. with the architecture and, and the style. So when you're, you're like, oh, big comic book films, and they went like, let's do the Phantom and the Shadow and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Which again, I think they have their merits and Rocketeer and things. Mm. Oh, I like the Rocketeer. Yeah. But that won't come back again for a while because I think ultimately we're not really again in that resurgence of that period. We're not looking mm. for that. We're now in the suck and the fucking 80s tailpipe quite heavily and it's it's like yeah give me everything 80s and that's very slowly gonna become 90s i think mm. in the next five years which maybe means it will come back down to the 20s 30s revival again maybe. i don't know yeah no i think uh the mummy's a really weird one it's a standalone film as far as i'm concerned i don't tend if i, I will watch the mummy quite happily i would have no problem watching the mummy again as just with friends or whatever mm. but I don't think I'd say, should we put the mummy returns on afterwards? I was like, no, let's just leave it as it is. I I have affection for it because, you know, just at the time when it came out. And, like, at the time, you know, those, like, the sand warrior Anubis headed things, I was like, oh, that's cool as shit. But I don't think there's any way, like, like you say, the mummy holds up. Like, you can go back and watch it now and you'll come away and go, that was a great film. That was a really enjoyable romp. Yes. You know, and the romance works and the horror works and the adventure works. Mm. I don't think you can go back to The Mummy Returns and go, that holds up really well. No, no, no. In every sense, it's a step down from The Mummy. And that's unfortunate because it does. I might have given it a three out of five at the time. I would give it a two out of five now if I was yeah. watching the film as it came out, as, yeah. as, is, so as it were. And that's just an unfortunate nature of it just having a few missteps. But the truth is, it's not one you can tweak to fix. I think this is one you have to rip out the guts of and completely restuff it. I mm. think there has to be something that's entirely separate animal. And, which, and by that, I suppose. Which we will find out very soon. Very soon <laughs> indeed. Well, before we get to fixing The Mummy Returns, here's a word from our sponsor. And I like to do that voice because it's the ad voice, right, guys? We're all doing the ad voice. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, I'm not very good at this yet. Well, suit yourself because I've got a local radio DJ voice now, and that's how I'm talking. Well, if you. we're all going to do it, then I might as well join in with you. <laughs> hey, pop pickers. Uh, we've got a <laughs> smashing uh, recommendation for you here. Do you like to uh, listen to podcasts? We assume you do because you're listening to one right now. We're on a podcast right now, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome Podcasting to the... territory. You've just censored it. Welcome to the... <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> do you like pods? Do you like casts? <laughs> then you'll love podcasts. <laughs> and you'll, you'll love, love Stitcher even more. Yes, that's right. I'm going to return to my normal voice now. <laughs> Please um, do, Tim. Yes, so uh, we are sponsored by uh, Stitcher, who are a fantastic platform for listening to podcasts. It's a dedicated podcast app um, available on uh, Apple and Android devices, possibly Windows as well, but who's got a Windows phone? Are they um, still a thing? Surely someone, not. Someone's, someone's out there with some. Some, some people are still using Blackberries, so, you know. Blackberry came weird. back, apparently. It didn't. It tried to. It tried to. It did not. Because it tried to bring back the actual keypad thing. And it was like, oh, I don't like a keypad on my touch screen. Look, I want, look, a, I want if, physical buttons. If measles no, and malaria can come back. <laughs> Polio's back. If Polio can come back, the Blackberry can come back. <laughs> Sponsored by Stitcher Premium. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Stitcher Premium is a, a really good way to uh, listen to some of your favourite shows ad-free. You get access to... Stitcher Originals, uh, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and and much much more. Um, it's a really good deal. It only costs four ninety nine a month. That's dollars, US yeah. dollars, US dollars. And so still pretty good. A Brit like us, it's a little bit less than that. Or thirty four ninety nine a year. So if you sign up for a year, it's a little bit cheaper. You can and in fact get a month free 
thanks to uh you know we we've we've greased some palms thanks we've to your, your boys yeah That's us. we um, muttered some uh, old egyptian curses spoken mm. loud from the book of the dead yes and that uh brought you some sweet sweet discount so to get that all you need to do is go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code sequelizers written like it is spell how it is on your podcast yeah look down listening device or now look up one. <laughs> now look down again <laughs> That's how it's spelled. Um, <laughs> I really and hope you people will, did that. <laughs> you, you will get a month free. Um, and you can listen to some really great shows on there. One that I would recommend at the moment uh, is called The Angel of Vine, which is a really awesome kind of audio drama, which is a, uh, like a, a, good audio drama. a modern journalist who has uncovered tapes, uh, recordings made by a kind of 50s private eye. Oh, We're shit. talking about period good. stuff. Uh, and a kind of it's got this kind of uh, Black Dahlia type vibe to it. Mm. Uh, a, a murder mystery set mm. in Hollywood in the 50s. And it's got an amazing <coughs> cast to it. Uh, so it's got Joe Mangianello, oh, Alfred Molina, huh. Constance Zimmer, Alan Tudyk, who we Bloody all know hell. does amazing voices. Yeah. Uh, Mike Coulter, who was Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Misha Collins. Loads of really great performers in it and um, definitely worth checking out. I'm subscribing to that right now. Um, Thanks for the recommendation, it's, it's actually got... Uh, so the first season's all out and the second season's coming soon. So it's a good time to check it out and that's a stitcher premium exclusive so that's pretty fucking cool yeah misha collins of supernatural i believe so my wife's old, gonna want to listen to old castiel, castiel himself yeah. shit that's so a good yeah shout, Tim. so that's that's the kind of thing that you can enjoy if you sign up for stitch premium thanks to us you get it for a month for free yeah you're welcome so yeah send us your thanks <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome as is tradition before we get to tim's pitch of fixing when we returns. Mm-hmm. We must sacrifice a goat <laughs> to the rotten tomatoes gods. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I have quite the task in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready. I would like the order from lowest to highest slash highest to lowest, however you want to do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. of The Mummy, Mummy Returns, Dragon Tomb of the Emperor King, <laughs> you know what I mean, and 2017 The Mummy. Those Ooh. four movies. Oh, I'm going to need a pen. You're going to need a pen. Get your notepads out, listeners and fellow sequelizers. Okay, I'm going to go. Oh, I, for- I forget to mention. Also the Scorpion King. Ooh. Just the first one. Because fuck y'all. Fuck the rest of them. <laughs> Scorpion King 1, the three mummy movies, yeah. and then, yeah. The reboot. The reboot of the, the, the canon sequel-ish <laughs> of, of the 20... Tom Cruise's one. Yep. I'm going to say... Emperor's New Dragons at the bottom. <laughs> oh, well played. Then Tom Cruise Mummy. Okay. Then Scorpion King. Okay. Then Mummy Returns. Then Mummy at the top. Okay. I think it might go in this order. Uh, so, so just uh, tell me again. Tell me again what Tim's order was, please. So Emperor's Dragon. Right. At the lowest, bottom. Yep. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Yep. Yep. From two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Mummy Reboot. <clears throat> Scorpion King returns mummy. Yeah, mine is a little similar. In fact, it's very similar. It's just one mm. tiny change. On the bottom, I think, is Tom Cruise's mummy. Oh, interesting. Then mummy of Tomb of the Dragon dildo. <laughs> then the Scorpion King. Probably. Then mummy returns. Then the mummy. Tim, you are bang on. Oh, shit. Really? Absolutely spot on. From the 13%. 
of Dragon Emperor. I mean, it's bad, so I'm proud of that. 16% uh, okay. Okay. of yeah. uh, 2017 the se- mummy. sequel, The Mummy, reboot, remake, whatever the fuck that is. 40% for Scorpion King. Which okay. is quite the leap up, and I'm not mm. sure it deserves that. No, but, I, yeah, okay. yeah, 40% yeah. is really not good. So you're going to be annoyed yeah. with these, these other two. Uh, oh, shit. Son. Mummy Returns. I, I, can take, I can take a guess. Have a okay. Now we're now we're now into mm. the real shit. You know it's higher than forty. I I think Mummy Chance is gonna be like fifty, and Mummy's gonna be sixty, and I want to kick the fuck off. Uh, in this 50, 60s. <laughs> yeah. 50, 50 and sixty-seven or some bullshit. I'm like, fuck you! It's an eighty-five. Yeah. Tim, any ideas? Yeah, I think Similarly? it's I think it's gonna be higher than that. Actually, I think it's gonna be six, like sixty, low sixties for Mummy Returns, high seven. No, low 70s for The Mummy. Matt, you're right this time. Oh. Fuck! 47% for Mummy Returns. I mean, it's not that bad. It's bad. It's, okay, if you're saying The That's Scorpion King That's not the one you're going to be annoyed about. Oh, okay, sorry. sorry. I'm ready now. 59% for the original Mummy. No. no. That no, should no, be no, 20 no. points higher in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. I think high 70s is about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would be okay with that. 59%. For the 1999 mummy. Shocking. How dare you, How sirs? How dare you, sir? How dare you, sirs? I think that the interesting, obviously, you know, contemporary of the time, contemporary now, yada, yada, yada. But I think that's grossly unfair and ridiculous and wrong. And mm. also, this is the, this is an interesting thing. We've discussed this uh, behind the scenes about the sequelizers. The future going forward, being weekly now, how we've got a lot of films to consume, prequelizers, requelizers, all the different things we can do to entertain your sweet, fine ears. But at the same time, we did open the idea of should we start doing more mediocre films? Because the definition of what is a good film and by definition of Rotten Tomatoes, for example, it is always difficult. And Metacritic is more approximation. Who knows? But it's an interesting problem because, you know, for all intents and purposes, we shouldn't be even having this episode because Mm. arguably the mummy in terms of, you know, that critical analysis is not a good film. But they're wrong. We all know that's not the case. It's a good no, film. It's fantastic. This is all subjective. Opinion is all subjective, mm. obviously, except ours is correct. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So in this Agreed. case, get the fuck in the bin. Also, I'm trying to... Fi- no, yeah, the, no, the, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor is, yeah, genuinely worse than The Mummy. I thought it would have had more of a hit because it was trying to come out of the bat so hard with this fucking, you know, shared universe <laughs> wank. But clearly not as much. Unusual. Mm. But, I mean, not far apart. For, what was it, 14 three, and 17? 13 and 16. 13 and yeah, 16, yeah. 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 That's, that's A 3% difference is negligible at that point. Considering Correct. there's a 12-point difference between Returns and 1999's Mummy. Yeah. Fuck that. Mm. Yeah. There is, there is a much... I, I've talked about it before, the, the vague sort of statistical analysis through my memory of, like, the typical... 50% drop-off we've often had with the first good movie yes. and then the bad sequel. is a very common sort of 40 to 50%. It's gone from an 80 to a 30. It's gone from a 60 to a 10. Mm. It's gone from a 70 to a 0, that kind of thing. From a 59 to a 47, that does nothing to justify the vast difference in quality between these Correct, films. correct. Entirely. And that upsets me greatly. But Granted, then- like you said, Rotten Tomatoes is a weird thing because that's it's not an aggregate score... Yes. Of it's not a score out of a hundred percent. It's the percentage of positive reviews, and a positive is just three out of yes, five. It's yeah, pos- positive is more yeah. than half. So mm. yeah. I don't understand how forty-one percent of them are less than half. Like, is a two yeah. out of five or a four out of ten 
for yeah. the mummy. Yeah. Yeah, who, watch it, just who watches like... the mummy and thinks it's a two out of five film? Old parts in the nineties. They're all dead. Probably though. Ebert. Curse you, Ebert. Um, I'd be curious to see what Ebert. He gave Mummy Returns two. Oh, which is he... about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Meow. 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 So with that out of the way, yeah. considering this is a forty-seven percent film that I would argue should be lower and the original should be higher. Mm. What are you going to do to bring that up, Tim? What's your plan for fixing this bad boy? Yeah, Tim. Okay, lads. Tim's first picture of the Roll season. Roll up sleeves of yes. your T-shirt. So I thought it was interesting that you said uh, you have to jettison the whole thing uh, because I've kept a few elements, mm. but I have jettisoned most things, yes. most notably Alex. <laughs> yeah, that's the important one. Hoof that kid into the fucking sun. That's the yeah. first thing I said when we were talking about, like, oh, what are you gonna, how are you going to fix it? Get rid of the kid. Yeah. Do not bother with fucking Alex O'Connell at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've kept Summers on as a director. He's not the safest pair of hands, and I think he goes downhill from here. I actually agree, because when I started pitching him for Jurassic Park, it was the whole mm. like, okay, now later... What does he do after this? Van Helsing, G.I. Joe. I can't think of anything. Both of those are crap. Yeah. But, but that should yeah. be enough. Yeah, that those two are bad, bad films. Yeah, but I, I, I also couldn't think of someone. I get the the only person who would who I would think of who would be a good replacement. And again, this is based on this is kind of why he got the job on Captain America: The First Avenger would be Joe Johnson, who was doing you know Jurassic Park three he was and had done, three the, at that time, yeah. done the uh, the Rocketeer. Yeah, period adventure movies like exactly. you just said. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, th- I, I think assuming that he's, I'm keeping with. with Sticking in 2001, yeah, I think with the changes to the script, Stephen Summers could make this a, a decent film. Yeah, I mean, he already proved he could do it yeah. with The Mummy. Yeah. I think it's, it doesn't take much to have a more compelling story with stronger beats. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the, the improve the story and remove some of the CGI so that there is not that burden on what he's creating. And I think... I think you're doing something he, yeah, he'll be successful. Yeah. So, returning cast, we have Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell. Good. Rachel Weiss as uh, Evie Carnahan. Double good. John Hanna as Jonathan Carnahan. Okay, yep. Arnold Voslow as Imhotep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oded Fair as Ardeth Bay. Nice. Ardeth Bay. Ardeth Bay. That's how uh, <laughs> Karloff said it in the original movie. <laughs> my name is Ardeth Bay. <laughs> <laughs> For my new cast, we have Lord Muller, who I'm swooping in before he gets to what is probably he's best known as now mm-hmm. uh as captain barbosa jeffrey rush love a bit of jeffrey yeah, rush i love jeffrey rush he's yep. a great actor yeah. yep a question being mm-hmm. muller what's his ethnicity is he like australian he would he's be, australian or is he, he would german be english english okay. um i th- yeah i think yeah, English if you, if or possibly put, kind of vaguely, ambiguously European. Yeah. If, you'd, if you'd stuck the umlaut on there, it'd been a bit Mueller. more... Oh, yeah, yes. Mueller, yeah. Because yeah. he did a, that in Mystery Memory, I think, but he did a sort of German... Cas- kind of Casanova Frankenstein. Of Frankenstein yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Here's that accent as well here. <laughs> yeah, <carry laughs> Sorry, yeah. The Scorpion King. Dwayne oh. The Rock Johnson. Oh. oh, you mean The Rock. I mean The Rock. He's not he would be ca- He would be cast as The Rock in this. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so you know who he is. You know You, you smell what he's cooking. Yeah. We have the character of Willem who is played by uh, an actor called William Sanderson. I like Sanderson, he's good. Uh, who you will best best know him uh, at the time, certainly, as uh, J.F. Sebastian in Blade Runner, who is the so kind good. of the, yep. the creator 
Um, the creepy he, toy guy. Yeah. Yep. At yep. this this time, he's not been in a huge amount. He's done a lot of TV. He's in a very good X Files episode, and then he goes on to be in to play two pretty big roles in Deadwood and in True Blood. He's great in both of those. He things. is. Yeah. He's a really solid actor. Yep. Um, and then the character of uh, Sarah or Sarah, Sarah probably. Uh, you named her. <laughs> yeah. Is Sanaa Lathan, who has just done Blade, uh, mm. where she's Blade's mum, and Love uh, and Basketball, yep, which is yep, a yep. very uh, underrated, underseen film. Uh, uh, and then she goes on in, to be in the Alien versus Predator films. Well, not, we can't win them all, can you? Yeah. <laughs> no. she was I've okay not seen Love it, and Basketball. It's good. Yeah. Uh, Tim's right, it's massively underrated. Yeah. have to check it out. Um, but yeah, those are those are the, the main new characters. Cool. So That's far, exciting. I'm in. So yeah, we'll we'll crack good cast in. So far, crack into the pitch. Kraken, there's a kraken in this. Unfortunately, in the not. desert. Hello, beastie. Oh <laughs> fucking hell. Okay, Egypt, 1928. At a gathering of the Magi, Ardeth Bay and the other leaders discuss recent events. Ardeth hopes that with British rule of Egypt lessening, there will be fewer foreigners stumbling around in the desert, accidentally unleashing ancient horrors. It's <laughs> fair. That's, That's fair. a reasonable. <laughs> The other leaders tell him that their order doesn't care who rules Egypt. Their duty is to protect the land, the people, and all of humanity. The meeting is interrupted by reports arriving that Magi strongholds have been hit by coordinated <laughs> attacks. As the leaders start to form a response, one of their number pulls out a gun and starts shooting the others. Ardeth Bay manages to dodge the gunfire and takes out the attacker, but realises he is the last leader of the Magi left. In Venice, Rick O'Connell is shopping for a honeymoon gift for his new wife, Evie. Oh, Yeah, it's nice. While trying to buy a map in a curio shop, he is captured by Lord Muller, his bookish associate Willem and their goons, who are all interested in the map. As Rick tries to talk his way out of the situation, Evie arrives with a gift for Rick. Ah, a pair of fancy pistols. <laughs> <laughs> I assume they're loaded. Yes. Yeah. They come preloaded. Of course yeah. they do. Yeah. And the two manage to escape Lord Muller's forces with the map. Rick and Evie return to their fancy apartment in Cairo. Wow, I used fancy. I said, quite close. Those fancy pistols. Yeah. It's a fancy fanc- pistols and a fancy apartment. Yeah. Fancy that. They're a fancy couple. Rick and Evie return to their luxurious apartment <laughs> in Cairo, interrupting Jonathan, who is attempting to pass himself off as a wealthy explorer to a pair of young women. Of course he is. Yep. Good. On brand. <laughs> Evie examines the map and uh, finds it, shows the route to the legendary Oasis of Armshare. Energised by this discovery, she tells Rick the tale of Armshare and the Scorpion King. The Scorpion King was a slave who rose to be a general in Seti I's army. He was a fearsome and loyal warrior, but then led a rebellion after he learned some members of the Egyptian royalty were worshipping Set, the god of chaos. The Scorpion King dedicated himself to Osiris and Isis, king and queen of the Egyptian gods, and led an uprising in their name until he was defeated by Seti's high priest, Imhotep. I like that. Imhotep. <laughs> Imhotep. I will no, say that every time, just warning you right now. As Evie finishes her story, the apartment is attacked by Lord Muller and his goons, who retrieve the map from Evie and kidnap Jonathan. As Rick prepares to pursue them, Rick, Evie reveals she has already made a copy of the map, and they can simply head straight to Armshare. Before they can leave, an exhausted Ardith Bay arrives, saying that he needs their help. Evie explains that they are in the middle of their own crisis, but Ardith notices a tattoo on one of the attacker's bodies that matches the Magi assassin and realises the two events are connected. On a train through the desert, Jonathan is trying to talk Lord Muller into releasing him, telling Muller that, you can drop me off wherever, I won't be any trouble. But Muller explains that they are aware of Jonathan's sister and her husband, and they prefer to keep Jonathan as insurance. Besides, says Lord Muller, 
the Carnahans and O'Connell should be grateful. It is only through the benevolence of the Order of Osiris that they and others like them are in Egypt. Classic racists. <laughs> as, as Jonathan asks what he's talking about, Willem approaches and lets Lord Muller know that they will soon be close to Amsher. Rick, Evie and Ardeth approach Amsher on horseback, passing through a canyon and into the oasis. Ardeth tells them that the Magi were aware of the Scorpion King, but never knew where Amsher was located, and thought it was lost to the ages. After some spooky goings-on in the jungles of the Oasis, they reach a temple at the heart of Amsher, built around the Oasis itself. The Order of Osiris is already there, and as our heroes approach, Lord Muller lowers the skull of the Scorpion King into the waters of the Oasis. Willem reads from the Book of the Dead, which an observing Evie realises means they must have excavated Hamanaptra too. Our heroes attack, attempting to prevent the ritual, but Willem completes the incantation, and as the skull begins to glow, the henchmen close by to it are reduced to fleshy piles, and the Scorpion King reforms in a Cronenbergian showcase of body horror. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then he raises his eyebrow. Yes. <laughs> does, very specifically, does the rock thing. <sighs> the people's eyebrow. Yep. Evie and Ardeth manage to free Jonathan and grab the Book of the Dead but as Rick tries to fight the Scorpion King, he quickly realises he is vastly outmatched. The group retreats, blowing up part of the temple to prevent the Order from following them. They flee into the jungle. Inside the temple, Lord Muller explains to the Scorpion King that the Order of Osiris remains dedicated to maintaining order in Egypt, and over time it has grown in power, led by some of Egypt's wealthiest residents. The Scorpion King says he exists to punish the followers of Set, and Muller lies and says that, just as before, the kingdom is at risk of falling into their hands. The Scorpion King responds that he will punish those who deserve his wrath, but he needs a brew made from the plants surrounding the oasis to restore himself to full strength and free them from the collapsed temple. Willem begins the process as the Scorpion King absorbs more of the Order's goons. In the jungle, Evie and Ardeth explain to Rick and Jonathan that the Scorpion King was intended to be Osiris's ultimate weapon on Earth, and once he regains his full powers, he could raise every city on the planet. Jonathan asks how he was defeated before, and the realisation dawns on our heroes that they need Imhotep. 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 Emerging from the canyon that leads to Amsher, the group is picked up by Sarah, an old contact of Rick's, who flies them to Hamanatra and flirts relentlessly with Ardeth. Can't blame her, he's yeah. handsome as hell. Yeah, he's a cool dude. They arrive at the ancient tomb and find the remains of the Order's excavations, Descending into the tomb, they encounter some spooky scares before finally reaching the remains of Imhotep. <laughs> the group debates whether they are making a mistake by once again unleashing the mummy. However, Rick eventually brings the argument to a close, saying that he is the only one to have fought both of them, and the Scorpion King is a bigger threat. Evie uses rituals from the Book of the Dead to prevent Imhotep from leaving his tomb, then brings him back to life and restores him to power. The mummy rages against his former foes, but when he realises he is trapped, he allows them to explain that the Scorpion King has returned. Imhotep considers, his... Imhotep. <laughs> considers his position and tells them that he will help their cause as long as Evie promises to remain with him until the king is defeated. He reveals that the Scorpion King's powers are tied to the waters of Amsher, and if they can destroy the oasis, then the king's powers will fade. Ardeth and Jonathan rejoin Sarah to scout out Amsher, while Evie and Rick remain with Adam Sher, the king has regained enough power to free himself and the Order. As they march through the jungle, he uses his powers to awaken the undergrowth into large, shambling monsters. Imagining like Swamp Thing, Man Thing style. I was thinking more mm. Ents, which one's going to be? 
Uh, more, more your kind of swamp thing good, type, good, 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 type good, thing. Makes sense. Yeah, um, shambling mound if, for D and D fans. Uh, yes, the big yeah, good, yep. mush good of yep. bones and grossness. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Accompanied by Lord Muller, they head towards Luxor to begin a campaign of destruction. As they head out into the desert, Ardeth, Jonathan, and Sarah arrive and begin to sneak past the remaining order guards and into the temple. At Hamanaptra. Emotep Thank you. converses with Evie, asking about how the world has changed since his death. Rick interrupts to mock the trapped Emotep. But the mummy dismisses him, saying that he is unworthy of his Anak Sinamun, and that his love is temporary while Emotep is immortal. The argument escalates and Emotep <laughs> tricks Rick into disrupting the fi- ritual that is trapping him in the tomb. He promptly kicks Rick's ass and then leaves the tomb, trapping Rick and Evie there. As he escapes, we cut to the Scorpion King, who senses his old foe's presence. A presence he hasn't felt since. <laughs> and redirects his forces that get towards Hamanaptra. I imagine he notices it by turning and just raising an eyebrow. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> That's the eyebrow moment. Yeah. Because we need one. He's, oh, st- yeah. he's still The Rock. He's not Dwayne Johnson yet. Yeah, he's at still, least one. He's still doing wrestling moves in his acting appearances at yes. this point. He's doing people's elbows looking for, you know, turnbuckles to bounce he's, off. He's, he's rock-bottoming seven, o- seven <laughs> of <Yeah>. nine. <laughs> Fuck about up. that. I didn't. <laughs> at Armchair, Ardith, Jonathan and Sarah encounter one of the Scorpion King's jungle golems and defeat it, then begin their plans to destroy the Order's temple and the Oasis. Meanwhile... Emotep awakens his mummified priests and prepares for the Scorpion King's arrival, planning to kill him and steal the power of Amsher. Trapped in the tomb, Rick and Evie have a brief heart-to-heart about their marriage and their doubts before Evie manages to figure a way out. Emotep and the Scorpion King begin to clash with Emotep's magics ripping into the king's armies. Rick and Evie emerge into the chaos and realise Lord Muller has the Book of the Living and ne- needed to defeat Emotep and fight their way towards him. At Amsher, Ardeth fights the remaining order guards while Jonathan and Sarah plant explosives, briefly encountering Willem, who decides to flee rather than confront them. Emotep and the Scorpion King finally meet on the battlefield, but neither is able to the best the other. Rick and Evie finally make it to Lord Muller, and Rick manages to defeat him in a fight, leaving him to be killed in the magical crossfire in an appropriately grisly fashion. Mm-hmm. As Evie reads from the Book of the Living, Jonathan blows the charges in Amshare, and both Emotep and the Scorpion King are rendered mortal. Emotep kills the king, but is mortally wounded. As the last of the Order of Osiris scatters, Rick and Evie approach the dying Emotep in time to hear him say, death is just the beginning. Surveying the chaos around them, Rick asks Evie if maybe it's time to get out of Egypt. Oh, Yeah, I like nice. it. Um, and I actually have a little, little extra treat oh. where I have written a post-credit scene, oh. which obviously weren't that popular at this time, but, oh. but fuck it, I'm doing it. I mean, we ended up adding an extra post-credits to my Dark Knight Rises pitch in the end so mm. yeah i'm all for this and um, listeners we don't know about this yes tim no, is literally no, bringing this live this on the show jack and matt have not live read this on air and have no, to reject no it. idea what it is batman turns up okay <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's michael keaton <laughs> that'd be cl- oh, i'll be cloony <laughs> Ugh. okay gross at a hotel in vienna willem sits at the bar jealously guarding a long leather case Carefully opening it up, he reveals three of the plants from around the edge of the oasis, 
gently glowing in their storage jars. Mm. Those superstitious fools, he says to himself under his breath. The power was never in the water, it was in the plants. With enough luck, these may hold the key to unlocking great-grandfather's final work. He closes the case and leans back into his chair, satisfied. A hotel worker approaches and clears his throat. Is it Nick Fury? Are you ready to be told... uh, Sorry. A hotel worker approaches and clears his throat. You asked to be told when your room was ready, Mr. Frankenstein. Ah! Actually, says Willem, smiling, it's Doctor. Ah! Fuck you, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing Dark Universe after all all this? My question was going to be at the end of this one, like, oh, would you do a sequel? The answer is, oh. (laughs) (laughs) You've given Summers the ability to go deep. So just just a, a little bit of insight into why I put that in there and my kind of thinking when i was uh, writing this um so the the myth of osiris uh, and and isis and set that's yes. kind of one of the core myths of egyptian mythology involves him being Os- osiris is killed and cut up and dumped into the nile yes and then he's all blue and shit isn't it yeah and then he's reconstructed by isis and brought back to life in some myths without his penis <laughs> that's, um, that's true <laughs> uh and so in a lot of ways Osiris is kind of a Frankenstein. Oh. And so we have the uh, Scorpion... I love that thread through to him. That's cool. Yeah, so yeah. we have the Scorpion King as the warrior of Osiris. And so we're kind of like... One of the things I wanted to do with kind of the body <clears throat> horror stuff is is kind of nod towards that idea. I like it. Um, I like it. And also another thing that features in the original Mummy films, which isn't introduced in the, the contemporary ones, mm-hmm. is that... Uh, the mummy has to be kept alive by these leaves that are yeah, special. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I'd bring in that element and have that for the Scorpion King instead and then have that become like the missing ingredient Very nice. for a Frankenstein. Because initially the whole like, this thing on paper, it's like, fuck you, Tim. Mm-hmm. But then you do have the explanation of it and realise there's actually layering that's gone into it. It's mm. not just, again, as I would have expected from something like The Mummy Returns, mm. a throwaway comment. Yeah. There's actually like, no, 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 no. This is rooted in A, mythology. B, the original thing you were recreating in the first place. Mm. And C, a projected future with what you could do with it. Mm. It gives it cause to be, it's, again, very positive. way deeper. When you, when you did that reveal, I was like, ah, that's a nice little nod. That's a clever little fuck you to our timeline. <laughs> <laughs> like I kept doing with my Dark, again, with my Dark Knight yeah, Rises yeah. thing. I'm like, oh, just mention Catwoman in there. Put Tom Hardy in there for the lols. I thought you'd done that for the lols, but no. No, 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 no. You're a, you're a clever boy, Mr. Matum. I, 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 I do I what approve. I can. I approve totally. Well done. Well and done. I would be happy to see more. I like the idea that if you want, like, you don't have to be, you know, the O'Connells going back and fighting every evil. Yeah. But it's nice that they kind of have a bit of a crossover sort of mm. thing. That's As long as he's not Rick Helsing by yeah. like the, the third <laughs> film, and I'm fine with it. I feel that that's exactly where it would end up in the mid-2000s. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. almost where it ended. Yeah. yeah, I think if I if I had my like complete control over the franchise, I would then be like, okay, now we're gonna do a Frankenstein, but it's not it's not gonna be about Rick and Evie fighting Frankenstein. It's just that's gonna like it's gonna be a spin off essentially, and also it's not gonna be Stephen Summers doing it. No, I feel like it's yeah. what they've kind of tried to do with the Godzilla Kong thing at the moment of like mm. there are yeah. these tenuous little links, and in the theory moment. they're building to something really cool. Mm. Granted. King of Monsters is shit. And so disappointed by that. I know, me too. I was so so excited for that film. I really like I think you and I agree on the the like of the 2016. I like 16, yeah, it's good. Yeah. 
and they're building towards that big clash. And I like the idea you've got Rick and Evie kind of bobbling in the background. You know that they're there mm. and they're going to... Pivotal role at some point later. Exactly. Yes. It's all going to come together, come to a head at some point. Yeah. But you've got the slow burn of the Frankenstein movie by itself doing its own thing and then maybe What's another... interesting, this could be an MCU before the MCU. If yeah. it's done well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And also you've got it there so that you have the idea of doing a Frankenstein film in like pre just pre World War Two Europe yeah. could be very, very interesting. interesting. But that's Ooh. but that's a that's a film that we haven't even it's, sequelized. It's a morsel, a thing to, to take away and yes. What did over. you what did you guys think of the main pitch? I, I genuinely I said this before Tim, I really like it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. You fixed a lot of the problems we had with it. Yeah. The key one being getting Alex out of there. I think it's is, just is unnecessary. Yep. him in the sun. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I think for me, the fact that you made the Scorpion King an actual presence. That was the next point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He and actually gets screen time yeah. and is a character rather mm. than just a big CGI PlayStation 2 graphic he's, blob. <laughs> he's resurrected in the middle of the film. You've mm. got the flashback where you see what the story is about. Resurrected in the middle and he becomes the villain. <coughs> or the adversary, I should say. And Emotep being that sort of... Again, it's a really good sequel territory of the your the friend the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of it's situation. Terminator 2 exactly yeah, kind of yeah. thing and it I I also do uh, something that would become like a a kind of trope of the I'd say they're like the late noughties mm-hmm. uh, early tens which is you have your uh, your enemy trapped at some point in a big glass box and yeah. interrogate him except this it's not a glass box it's a magical ritual yeah <laughs> and you dumbass your way out of it yeah <laughs> yeah no I think that's that was a nice show I had. Two or three questions. Go, go for They're it. They're not bad questions. They're mm. merely questions themselves. The answers may be bad. Starts great. Having is is grand. There's no real problem. There was one thing I was like, oh yes, uh, Evie copying the map. I was like, when does that happen? And again, I know it's because mm. we have a limited word count with the synopsis, mm. and it's very much just a pitch. It's an idea. Mm. Um, but she literally has it, and then she copies it down. When's that sort of? Well, we jump from them being in Venice to them being oh, back thing. in Cairo. So, so we do. There yes. is time. Could be a scene yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, so it can be it can be a quick scene. It can be a shot of her, you know, them sketching a, it in a yeah. notebook like Indiana Jones. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That's fine. And again, that's simple, simple fix. Funnily enough, one of the questions I had was something you answer in the post credits scene, ah. um, because you mentioned like a couple of different things that the Scorpion King needs to power up. Like mm. he's got the got the brew. And then there's like the waters, but also the plants. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, the doctor, Frankenstein, answers mm-hmm. that. What's this about him absorbing goons? Is he like slurping th- them up in a paste? Same thing with the emotep, I imagine. It's the whole... Like, the Is he draining them like, of their, the life energy kind of thing? Uh, yeah, but more... more uh, gross. Gross than, <laughs> than emotep. More body horror. And it's... Mm. it's to kind imagining of... like a tail. Like, mm-hmm, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, sort of reduce them to spare parts kind of uh, idea. Sticking um, with the Frankenstein theme. Yeah. Mm. So I, I think the, uh, the 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 kind of the idea would be that he, the the kind of the physical side of him, requires the 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 raw parts of the people, the goons who get absorbed. Mm. Uh, like that's why he starts. You know, it's, he's literally just a skull when he starts, and then then kind of builds up the bound him yeah. like that. Um, <clears throat> And then the the waters and the the brew which are connected um, are to do with his kind of more extraordinary powers. The you know the waking up the mm. uh, the jungle that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And with the skull, mm. is that 
uh, it, it, again, it's a problem with these pitches is that we've only <laughs> got a limited number of mm. words and a certain amount of time. Otherwise, we'd be sat here for another hour and a half reading sure, an entire sure. script of a film. That seems to come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, and he puts the skull in the water and then he's back. And it's like, it, would you would you pre-establish that, that he mentions it in some dialogue this, this of like, was, oh, I, we need to get the skull to the Oasis? Or do you actually quite like the fact that it comes out of nowhere and it's like, oh, fuck, he has the skull of the Scorpion King and that's like a, a reveal for the villain to have? Kind I, of think, I think there would probably be some hints towards it on the, the train ride when he's talking to Jonathan, mm. um, which was originally when I was kind of writing that out, there was a lot more description of what that kind of conversation Back and forth is kind like of dialogue and, 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 kind of stuff, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff um but uh yeah i think like the idea that because one of the things that the mummy returns introduces is the idea of this like cult that's been worshipping imhotep that we don't see at all in the first film and then yes in the second yeah. one they're kind of they're incredibly well established and have all these resources you think they'd be around at the start yes um and so the idea is the order of osiris is kind of our version of that but they are explicitly connected to like the wealthy elite in egypt most of whom are not actually egyptian they're you know foreign powers who've kind of classic european arrival in africa exactly kind of colonial powers um and so they do have all these resources and they've done things like excavated hamanatra to get the book of the dead and Mm. accessed all these things and so there's a certain amount of like the map is the last kind of thing that they need that they've and that's where the heroes stumble into them and they've, they've kind of already got stuff. But uh, obviously in terms of storytelling, I would kind of introduce like the skull as a, you know, mm. just as a kind of like... Breadcrumb it to start with. And yeah, yeah. like, you know, a, 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 a weird, you know, casket that Jonathan sees on the train. And that's that, exactly that, what I was thinking. Subtle yeah. breadcrumbing is exactly what yeah, I was yeah. thinking yeah. in terms of... Because I gave the example of like, oh, I've got the skull of the Scorpion mm. King is way too obvious and too ham-fisted. Mm. And yeah. I think, like you said, having just a box that he doesn't let Jonathan see or like he pulls yeah. a curtain across. And he's Not like, for you. Yeah, don't look at that or whatever. He just like makes sure that he's hiding something and that makes Jonathan curious. And then we see him open that specific box into mm. the Oasis yeah. or whatever. I think that would be yeah. a nice little way of doing it. So and and you have you have Willem as a character who's meant to be there as kind of scurrying around doing mm. the kind of yes, science. science. He, he, yeah, you think he's the Igor, but yeah. he's the Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's, he's doing the kind of the science slash the occult stuff in the background. <laughs> yes. This isn't actually an issue with your pitch or even your film. It's, it's something the Scorpion King kind of sort of got right. In the Faustian deal that the Scorpion King does. Hmm. It's like, give me the power to like get vengeance. And say, all right, it's a limited deal, bitch. <laughs> You'll be consumed again. Whatever. I'll eat the scorpion. Blah, 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 blah. The Scorpion King is defeated by Imhotep. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be something there. And it probably is there. It's just not, you know, mm. not on the page. That explains that after that, we buried him with one of those amazing stupid curses that yeah. if he comes back, he comes back ten times as powerful. Yeah. Because I think... Oh, as they both come back and the cycle repeats again. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the fact that I think that when he comes back, that, like, you know, he's find the skull, for example. Mm. Well, as we're doing Scorpion King spin-offs. Right, guys? Uh, you're not on your team. I, I left yeah. that path open. I wanted to make him a little bit more sympathetic. Because in the film, in The Mummy Returns, he's just like... It's an asshole. He's just an asshole. He's yep. just a, a conquering 
warrior. And, and in, then Scorpion King, he's kind of a good guy. Yeah. yeah. It's How's a weird it dichotomy that makes no sense for that character. Nope. And so in this, he's still kind of an ass. You know, he's a militaristic. But like Imhotep was. It's yeah. the product of his but environment. There, yeah. But there's also the kind of the, the idea that, no, he, he kind of uncovered something evil and, and led a rebellion against it. And then yeah. that's why he was struck down. And, you know, that, that also kind of... We can throw in there, you know, the fact that he's just a skull, whereas Imhotep was a full mummy, is like, mm. no, we... Like, this guy wasn't allowed to be preserved in a pyramid. Like, was, we made a show of him. Yes, you know? exactly. It's like he was made an example. And let's yeah. face it, Imhotep, when under the king's favour, it makes sense that he would have performed such a thing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll place a curse on him as well. It's mm. like... Because I, I do think well, that's one of those classics about the original mummy, and I mean mm. the, the 1930s mummy mm. as well. It's like, remarkably stupid. He was a terrible person. To quote Evie, he did something very bad or very naughty or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and what happens when he comes back? Well, if he ever comes back, if such a crazy thing ever happened, he would have all the plagues of Egypt. It's like, <laughs> why would you give that to your enemy? <laughs> I don't, again, as again, is it like, is a Faustian bargain where like, you can do that. Mm. You know, you can place a curse on him and all of the afterlife would always be tormented, always be separated. Mm. And like, okay, fair enough then. But the punishment will be, you know, in exchange. Mm. The reverse will be equally woe upon your own house, kind mm. of thing. So I think it's just that it needs to be a little bit in there. Yeah, but it's a minor thing, mm. and and um, yeah. And again, I can't stress enough. I like that it feels like the pacing and the urgency is back again. Mm. That thing I mentioned about the thing that Mummy Returns doesn't have. It's easy to follow. It's a nice straight line story. Um, the only thing <laughs> is when Jonathan gets kidnapped, and, the, and it's like we should go after them, and he's like, "Don't worry, I got the map." It's like. Yeah, but what about Jonathan? Yeah. Jonathan, he'll, he'll be fine. Jonathan will be fine. Cut, cold cut to, I'm terribly sorry, fellows. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would. Yeah. I think that would go quite nicely. Because yeah. initially, yeah. Like, we really thought, Jesus, Tim, that's a bit mercenary. <laughs> and then realizing, Jonathan's an annoying prick. But also, <laughs> the fami- yeah, it's like he's on brand for that guy. That, exactly, yeah. and it's, yeah. it, it yeah. works well. So, yeah, I think he's and done it's, a good And job. it's not so much that they're like, well, fuck him. It's like we'll, we know we'll we head know them off at the past. Yeah, we know where they're going. We will we'll get there. Yes, yeah. Uh, touching on Evie and Rick, a question I had that's not necessarily, a, again, like Matt, you said, not necessarily a negative thing. But you mentioned uh, they talk about their marriages and their doubts and mm. stuff like yes. that. Is that a thing that would be explored? Like, are you, are you building like a relationship tension there in some Is ways? Is it that or? they're both sterile and barren and can't have an annoying <laughs> child? <ever? laughs> oh, what would you call your first kid? Alex. Oh, I'm barren. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Tough. no. My I don't, penis doesn't I, work. I don't like that name. Let's never have children. <laughs> Um, no, so the idea that I wanted to kind of get in there, uh, and it mostly kind of comes up in the bit where they're kind of, um, shagging, <laughs> uh, where, <laughs> they're, where they're talking with Imhotep, um, and he, because he still, he has that kind of relationship with, with, uh, Evie, his, his kind of, uh, the buttons that he pushes on Rick are like, is it the hot headedness versus the calm and so the, you shouldn't be it's, there? It's uh, a little bit the hot headedness, but also just like, you don't deserve this woman. Ah, like you're kind right. of scum. I am ah, from nobility. Yep. Like, you know, what makes you think you're good enough for so her? So it's an insecurity on both parts. That, yes. Yeah, and then really and then the kind of the heart to heart that I want them to have is for them, for her to kind of turn around and go be, and, and basically say like, I have exactly those same like fears because you're a dashing adventurer and I yeah, am like a... An ex-librarian. Uh, yeah, a former librarian. And like, you know, like let's both except the other person loves us. Which, again, is a nice thing of reassurance that happens mm. in regular relationships that you do turn around and say, why are you fucking with me? I'm the worst. Mm. 
and that insecurity is something that I think the audience is in the same way that the first one was very romantic you mm. can say that the, the second one was like it has a different type of romance and it's mm. like, still like love the fuck out of each other yeah. and they're still very sweet with each other but there's still the whole is this are we, are we okay I mean I okay mm. it's like yeah you dumb yeah. bastard yeah. yeah definitely let's go let's go boff a couple of monies yeah <laughs> no, boffing said sex don't do that kill <laughs> boffing let's kill the mummies then boff yes on their corpses <laughs> I mean, they might have done something. Like Probably. Yeah. Boffing in a tomb. Yeah, sure. Boffing in the Dragon Emperor's tomb. That's the third one. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy Boffs, the third film. <laughs> so well done, Tim. Yeah, Thank like you. It's a good, good one. Show. Yeah, I had fun fun Mu- doing it. Much better than Mummy Returns. I think so. I think <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. There were, there weren't, the side characters served the purpose of the story. They didn't feel like random additions that didn't make sense. They didn't feel like they were just quipping random the same line Random fucking cameos. And, mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the lack of and you mentioned it when we were talking about how bad it is, like the lack of direct references to the first one. It's like, hey, I've got a story to tell you later on. It's like, I'll <laughs> tell you about the story of the first film. <laughs> Shut up, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. The, I'm glad a... you didn't have that kind of. It doesn't rely too much on the first one. Granted, the relationship between Evie and Rick is from the first one, and Imhotep is obviously t- tied in directly to the first one. But this kind of works kind of standalone as well, and I like that. That's a classic kind of serial. It's Indiana Jones. It's the, the or everything they're kind of referencing there. It makes sense that those films are able to stand alone by themselves and mm. able to build a bigger picture in the long term with the introduction of Dr. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it worked really well. Oh, and the, the, the other minor thing that I didn't really uh, mention in the pitch is I, I mentioned that- Rick Van Helsing. <laughs> I mentioned that Sarah like flirts with Ardeth, mm, um, yeah. and I I kind of deliberately have those two and Jonathan go off because I I quite like the dynamic. I can see like John Hannah doing very well of like why is she flirting with him? Like I'm much more impressive and trying mm. to kind of like oh the compensatory up. yeah 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 because yeah. I was gonna say um, <laughs> Sarah seems like a decent character as opposed to again to my pumping characters out. So in the first one you have Captain Winston Mr. Havelock is over there. Mm. And I love the idea that he's like he wanted to die in World War One. He's just mm. looking to die with honor and time. <laughs> and it's just so stupid. And he's just a drunk. But then in the second film you have um oh no, what is it? It's Izzy Izzy Buttons or something by um, Some, something like yeah, that. Sean Parks. Mm. And he's just oh, I got shot in the arse. And mm. I don't know why, but at the time I remember thinking, Oh, okay. And I think it's more when you see an American film and a British accent comes out, you always think to yourself, ah, a British person. And it's one of the familiarities, as it were. Some stand out a little weirdly. And now you've got, like, obviously, Rachel Weisz and, and mm. uh, John Hanna and things like that. Mm. But um, Who's that, sorry? John Bloody Hanna. John Bloody Hanna. <laughs> There's an old story about when I went to an award festival with, um, uh, sorry, award circle with some friends who lost out their film because the other film had John Hanna in it. It was like, John Bloody Hanna! <laughs> I can't believe it! So you've got a long-lying resentment to John, or your friends have got a long-lying resentment Yeah, which we've John inherited Hannah. with them as a solidarity. Good. <laughs> so you never cast John Bloody Hannah in anything. <laughs> <laughs> but he was very good in this film. But the point is that the Izzy replacement with his soul, I got shot in the ass. I'll come along with you. Mm. As long as I get shot in the ass. Yeah, you know what happened? I'll get shot in the ass. It's like, mm. oh my God. And it's just his, rela- like, because it, it plays up the Jonathan's kind of like mercenary treasure huntery stuff yes. because it's him and Izzy like just like well, I'm gonna get the treasure no I'm gonna get the treasure and yeah. like that's the least interesting like Entirely. Jonathan's kind of a fascinating character because I think when you start to think about who he is and the setting it becomes very obvious that he's someone who got f- really fucked up by World War One oh yeah um, yeah absolutely because yeah, he's, yeah. 
he's like a competent shot that we see like several times in the films, yeah. but like clearly doesn't want to take anything seriously. And you're like, oh wait a minute, let's let's like he's got a lot of gallows humor. Yeah, like, let's yeah. let's put together the kind of the timeline here and like, oh yeah, like, he's he's kind of a Watson to the to the Holmes yeah. kind of thing, like mm, the yeah. way Martin Freeman played Watson in the mm. the. With the more, BBC, yeah. If he was bouncing more with the less like a dry wit and more just an over in your face, yeah, he's he's compensating for that. Yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. overcompensating. Yeah. No, I, that's a very astute point, and mm. I think it could have been. Uh, and I shouldn't say this, not really, because I don't believe this, but I'm gonna say it. You two should watch um, <laughs> two <Mummy> three. No, <laughs> fuck off. No, I'd be genuinely curious to see what you think, because mm. he's so Do, terrible in it. Yeah, and I like I I wouldn't want him to turn into like this tragic character that's just talking about like the the horrors of the trenches or no, anything. No, no, it I just needs to be a moment be... where he just stares on distance and then just goes. But anyway, yes, on. and it just it's a nice rounding of a character it means it gives him mm. a bit of soul and personality. Yeah, yeah. I think him and um, Oded Fair make the they're times when they're together in the yeah. in the films is always really amusing. Yeah. yeah, I kind of I do kind of want to see Dragon Emperor just because Maria Bello is such weird casting for Evie. Like she's perfectly, is interesting. she's perfectly fine actress, but like yeah, she completely. does not look like Rachel Vice at all. It's a, a very odd one. casting time. But then, to be honest, who do you recast Rachel Vice? Don't as <laughs> don't bring the character back. That's even the answer. If someone has a visual lookalike or go with, oh, that person could work. You think oh, maybe? Just don't. You just kill her off and have someone else come in. Yep. Mm. Yep. Her sassy French cousin Eva Green. Yes. <laughs> Sign me up for that instead. And, uh, yeah, who knows? Versus Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. Played by that's, Mads Mikkelsen. That's Penny Dreadful, I think. <laughs> <laughs> good point. It's a good fix, though. I I, I genuinely improved him. Yep. Mm. Mm. Well, hopefully our listeners at home also uh, appreciated it. Of course they do, Tim. They're smart. And if mm-hmm. they didn't... They can let us know. They can. How? On Twitter, at Sequelizers. Instagram, Sequelizers as well. Facebook.com slash Sequelizers. All our social media buffet. <laughs> a smorgasbord of a social media. A smorgasbord of social media. A host of goons for you to <laughs> absorb <laughs> in your oasis of social media. And uh, if you wish to deliver Scorpion King Skulls in a slightly longer format, then sequelizers <laughs> at gmail.com is the place to go, of course. And uh, if you are feeling generous and uh, feel like compensating our, our hard work with some And funding ancient- our excavations into yep. ancient mm. Egypt. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've like... been to Egypt. It's nice. <laughs> Actually, it's not nice. It was very bad at the time. Those Did you meet any Magi? No, I'm, I met uh, a military police guy who pulled a gun on me. That's Story fun. for another time. Yeah. Played by John Hanna. John bloody Hanna. That's why they don't like John Hanna. So if you want to hear the story of how Matt got threatened by an Egyptian military policeman, <laughs> sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> If that's not incentive, you know I don't know what it is. I'm going to tell you guys after this, we'll put it in the outtakes. Absolutely. So, yeah, seriously, if you do want to hear it, it will be in the outtakes. It's on Patreon. But the the, the, the minimum is is just a dollar, and it's you true. get the ad-free episodes of the show. There's and... some really good tiers in there. We've talked yeah. this before with merchandise and with uh, extra audio stuff and things. Mm-hmm. But there's, and again, as always, we should always point out, if you cannot afford to at this time or otherwise, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. There's no problem at all. We understand that because money's hard type. And other and, words, it's hard and tight. If you, if you're, if you are, would like to support us, but you can't afford to do so monetarily at the time, perhaps head over to whatever podcast service you do use, be that Stitcher or some inferior platform, <laughs> and uh, nice. and give us a five star review because those also are really, really beneficial. Very to true. Us. Very true. 
if they wish to contact you and discuss the pitch in more detail, Mr. Matum. Hello. Uh, how could the dear listeners do that on the smorgasbord of social media? Oh, I, I thought you wanted my just home address. I, was just I mean, that would be, do- be good myself. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> on social media, I am uh, trivia underscore lad on Twitter. That is uh, my most commonly used, perhaps to an ill degree, that uh, I'm on there. And yeah, that's the best place to reach me and uh, talk to me about movies or TV or comics or Sexy X-Men. Sexy X-Men. Sex-Men, as we call them. Do we? Some of us do. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the best place to follow me for things. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Instagram, Twitter, unfortunately also Facebook, Hmm. where I post all my minion memes. Because that's all Facebook is good for. You're a classy guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a classy football mum that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> um you can follow me for discussions about what i'm watching what i'm reading but yeah jlw chambers on pretty much everything if you wish to follow me and my exploits mr stogs yo how do they uh follow you and your exploits into um, into egypt and beyond you can follow my exploits no harm came from following exploits that's a call back to the mummy did you like it it was subtle yeah, you can search for Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on all the social media platforms and engage with me. I'm married, not that kind of engage. But you can engage with me in conversation. I'm engaged. You can engage me. I'm single. Yeah, there you they go. Can. I'm taking all offers. Oh. <laughs> Mummy. Uh, you can find uh, Tim's Tinder. Uh, t- Tim Tinder, if you will. I heard Sharon Stone's on Bumble. Yes, she, she got kicked off Bumble because she's Sharon Stone. <laughs> That's a real thing that happened, listeners. Yeah. And now you can almost carbon date to when this was recorded because yes. it's true. <laughs> that would have been a story for when about When did Sharon hours. Stone get kicked off of Bumble? That's when we recorded it. It's You're true. welcome. That's a little. How game can theme. they find you on dating sites, Matt? Uh, you can't. Correct answer. That was a test. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome, Matt's wife. So you can go to uh, <laughs> yeah, such stogs S T O J Z and um, we'll have a conversation and other stuff. You can also go to the redrighthand.co.uk and read my reviews and uh, other stuff. I just my well, no. I guess you would have reviewed the mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy. Um, I reviewed the Tom Cruise mummy. Yeah, I was not kind. Good. Um, that film is shite. It was bad. And Wait, did you review Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? I at the might time? have actually quite God a long Lord. time ago. Two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely reviewing at the time, yeah. so I probably did. But it was a straight so to DVD thing, though, wasn't it? Gave so. it a five out of five. No, it's cinematic. It, it, was it, it in was cinema? a cinematic release? Fucking hell! That's where I saw it. Oh, <laughs> on my own. No one uh, came with me. Of course. Why would they? Yeah, it's they're not stupid. And you can go to cheesemint.com to see all my filmmaking stuff, featuring me and Tim sometimes. Featuring you guys, and uh, we've done lots of things, and they're all cool, and they're all fucking free because the internet. Um, YouTube's is free, yeah, unless you YouTube Red or Premium. Who the fuck called? is? Nobody. Until we get sponsored by them, who the <laughs> fuck is? <laughs> Dumbass platform. Exactly. Brought to you by Spotify Premium. So uh, we'll see you next week, I guess. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. For another exciting film fix. Is that our tagline now, Tim? I don't know. <laughs> I just open my mouth and words come out. See you next out. week for an exciting film fix with the sequelizers. Get your fix of films over at the sequelizers, boys, next week. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Uh, this next hit is up. Is uh, That's, that's it's a reference from, to the ad, by the way. Ad it's from Ad. Oh, yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> Well, hang on. Local DJ voice. Local DJ voice was the uh, thing went for the ad voice. And uh, up next is Ardith Bay and the and the Medjai's. Emotep. Emotep. <laughs>